Do you know, it doesn't matter, and I know mom and dad pretty much feel the same way because we've been in their house. <laughs> you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter uh, how old my children get. It doesn't matter how old my children, my grandchildren get if there's always a place. If they need to be there, they're there. When, they're not, when they don't need to be there, they can be there. Are you, are you, there's always a place that's always their home. Are you with me? When, when my family moved here, you know, I moved back. I, didn't, I was trying to get away from them. I was coming down here to go to college. And so I went back to New Jersey. When I went back to New Jersey, I didn't have a place to go. You know where I went? My grandmother's house. We, they weren't even saved at the time. But you know what? It was, there was a place. Can you, can you imagine that? And how many of us, the same thing. If our children came back, they needed whatever. You're, they're always your children, and you always love them, and you always will provide and protect, always. That's the way your heavenly Father feels about you this morning. So it doesn't matter what happened. I want to repeat this because I know that there's heaviness. It doesn't matter what happened yesterday. It doesn't matter what happened. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And it, listen, it doesn't even matter what happens when you walk up on out of here. It does not matter. Your Father loves you, and no matter what, there's a place for you. Hallelujah. You're accepted in the beloved. That's not just a warm, fuzzy saying. That's not just something I want to say just to pump you up. That is truth. That is absolute truth. It is what he says. It's what he promises. I'll never leave you or forsake you. You're accepted in the beloved. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter what happened. It doesn't matter what you've done. Hallelujah. And so listen, if I feel about my kids that way, I know that God feels about me that way because he's much more capable about overlooking things he poured out all his blood for me. I didn't pour out all my blood for my kids. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, as promised, we're going to continue in created and called uh, by God and for God. And this is going to be part three. Um, and I think we're going to go again next week if the Lord is willing. And beyond that, I don't know. But I do know about next week if he allows me. So we're going to continue in our foundational scripture. And that's going to be Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in the hope of your calling calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Man, I'm hoping, my brothers and sisters, that, you know, the repetition here, just the sheer repetition alone, you're starting to get some of this. That, listen, we are called to walk worthy of this calling, and we're all called, and we're called to walk worthy of the calling. And if you look at those items, I I just want to remind you not to beat you like, you know, beat the dead horse. Listen, Lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. See, that's the other thing that's part of my father's house. And that's the other thing that's part of my house, love. You know what? People mess up. My kids messed up. My grandkids mess up. I mess up. Michelle messes up. But we never stop loving. And that's true of this house as well. This house. We love each other doesn't matter what you've done. Bring it. We'll go to him with you. Amen? Amen. So now we've already looked at Samson and Samuel. Obviously, Samson was uh, someone who wasn't walking according to his calling, but at the end he finally got it. And Samuel was quite the opposite. He walked worthy of his calling, and God did mighty things even through both of them, especially at the end of Samson's life when he finally got him to be blind to the things of this world and to his own nature, and he finally figured out that you know, his strength was in Christ, in God. Amen? So today we're going to continue, and today we're going to be uh, in uh, Judges again in chapter 6 this time. Beginning in verse 1, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Midian, into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves dens and caves and strongholds which are in the mountains. So, so, so I want to get this in, you know, maybe it's been a long time since you've been in Judges. But I want to, to try and picture this. 
you know, again, as was their past, their history, and, and still I could relate, they did evil in the sight of the Lord, God's people. So God allowed them to be persecuted or to be under subjugation somehow, some way to the Midianites. And not only to the Midianites, even we'll see to the Amalekites and, all the, uh, and other peoples from the east. So what Israel did was they hid out in caves. They hid out in caves and the hillsides and stuff like this so that they can kind of, you know, halfway be protected in strongholds. Now, continuing, we go all the way down to Judges 8, 22. It says, Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. So, my brothers and sisters, the story starts out today with Israel being in subjugation, Israel being in, in, enslaved somehow to the Midianites, and then the end of it, them receiving their freedom, them being um, delivered by a man named Gideon. So obviously a lot of stuff happens between uh, chapter 6, verse 1, and chapter 8, verse 22. A lot of stuff happens. For those of you who maybe haven't gone to seminary, a lot of stuff, that's a theological term. So it means, you know, many things happen. Just wanted you to know. So... What happens is, I'll give you a quick summation and then we'll get into detail and make the points I believe that the Lord would have us to make today. Israel cries out to God because they're in this subjugation. They're being oppressed by the Midianites and the people from the east. So so they're crying out to God. God hears them and he sends them a prophet and the prophet gives them the word, tells them exactly why uh, they're suffering this way. And so that's, you know, they know why, but, you know, they just don't do anything about it. So the angel of the Lord, which we know is Jesus, appears to Gideon. Gideon's threshing wheat, on, uh, he's threshing wheat in the wine press. He's doing it in, in hiding so that, you know, the, the Midianites and the others don't steal his wheat. And he says, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And so here's Gideon replies, so this angel of the Lord, which we know is Jesus, he says, the Lord is with you. And, and Gideon says this, if the Lord is with us, then why are we suffering the way we're suffering? It seems like, he says, you know, he delivered us from Egypt and we've heard all of the miracles and all of the things that he did when he delivered our people from, from Egypt. But now, it, it, you know, our fathers told us all of those stories, all of those wonderful things and, and how God with a strong hand did this. But, but now he's abandoned us. He's forsaken us. The, the God is, he's turned us over to the Midianites. The angel of the Lord responds, go, go. You're going to save Israel from the Midianites. I'll be with you. So Gideon does what any spiritual guy would do. Give me a sign. Show me a sign. I want to, I want to believe you. I really, want to, I, really want you to, I really want to understand that you're going to help me, that you're going to do this. And I really want to know that I'm speaking to the Lord. See, by this time, this, I'm giving you the highlights here. By this time, Gideon starts to figure this out. This, has got to, this is God speaking to him. So he says, okay, I'll give you a sign. The angel, I'll give you a sign. He says, but here, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to get an offering. I'm gonna, you wait here. I'll get the offering. Hey, you wait here. I'll give you the offering. I'm going I'm to give you the I'll wait here. And so we know that Gideon brings the, the goat. He prepares a meal, and he, and he sets it on this rock. It's accepted. It's received by the angel of the Lord. He consumes it. He touches the rod to the offering, and the flames come out of the rock and just totally consume uh, the offering. Now, when Gideon sees all this, he, he knows now for certainty that he's seen God face to face, and he's, he's, he's intimidated. He thinks he's going to die, but the Lord now is out of Gideon's sight, but he speaks to him. So he's left him, but he's still speaking to him. <clears throat> so the Lord speaks to Gideon that night, and he specifically tells him, here's what I need for you to do. He says, go to the altar of Baal and to the image on your father's property. See, so his father actually had this done. He says, go, and I need you to tear that down. I need you to take the two bulls that your father has, and I need you to make an altar, and I need you to burn a sacrifice to me in the place of that. So Gideon does it. He goes by night, he takes 10 people with him, and he does exactly what the Lord has told him. But hap- the, the problem with this is now the next day when the men of the town see that this altar has been torn down, they're, they're 
infuriated. And out of that 10, there must have been somebody who was a Valachi because they, they figured it out. They figured out who did it. And so now they go to Joash, that's um, Gideon's father, who himself, he had to be a Baal worshiper. He had this stuff up on his property. He, they go to Joash, and they're, they're demanding that you know, retribution be taken out on Gideon. But Joash does something interesting. He stands up for his son, and he says, listen, if Baal is God, you're going to go ahead and, and, and you're going to defend, you're going to make a case for Baal, you're going to defend Baal. If, if Baal's a God, let him defend himself. And let whoever makes a case for Baal, whoever does this, whoever stands up for Baal, let him be dead by morning. He, just Joash was a powerful man in this area. There's no question about that. So now the Lord continues to speak to Gideon and he tells him uh, what to do. Gideon, in the meantime, you know, there's now the armies start to form. They start to form their formation, the armies, the armies of the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all these, you know, people from the east. And so the Lord uh, tells Gideon to, uh, you know, you're, this is it. We're gonna, you're going to deliver the people. Gideon blows the trumpet, and he sounds the word out through all of the area. And so there's several tribes and several people around the, the area and the surrounding area. He starts gathering the people. So the armies of Israel start building up. The armies of the people from the east and the Midianites, the Bible tells us, is huge. They can't be numbered. They're like locusts. And even the camels, it says their camels are like sands of the seashore. That's how many people are amassed. So Gideon starts gathering these forces. He ends up with about 32,000 men, but still a small number compared to the armies that they were about to face. Now, many of you know this, the rest of the story. You know, Gideon puts a fleece out before God and says, if you really mean for me to do this, if you're going to be with me, he says, you know, let the do form on the fleece only and not the ground. And so the next morning when Gideon gets up, the dew is only on the fleece. He wrings it out and there's a bowl of water on the fleece, but the ground is dry around it. So of course Gideon says, okay, I'm in. No, no. He says, okay, if it's really you, (laughs) let it happen the other way. Let the dew form on the ground and the fleece be dry. So the Lord went ahead and he did it. The next day, the fleece was dry and the ground was wet. So now the Lord says to him, you've got too many men. <laughs> too many men. I'm facing an army that looks like locusts. I, I've got camels that the number of them are like sand on the seashore. Yeah, 32,000, that's too many. He says, but, you know, here's what I need for you to do. Tell the men, whoever wants to go home, they're a little afraid, you're a little nervous about this, you can go home, you know, everything will be fine. And so right then, they, uh, 22,000 men leave. Okay, the Lord says, you still have too many. What? Yes, you still have too many. Here's what I need for you to do. Go down to the water. Go down to the water, and um, you take a peek at them. Watch how they drink. The ones who get down into the water to drink, um, those you can let go home. But the ones who put their hand cup the water and can remain standing and cup the water and raise it to their mouth and lap it like a dog. Those are the ones that stay. And so that's exactly what happened. He watched them and there were 300 men who cupped the water and brought it to their, to their mouth. And so the rest of them, he let go. So there's 300 men now against an army that is numbered that is, resembles a uh, swarm of locusts. Brothers and sisters, man, God has got to do something here, doesn't he? It's the whole point. God has got to do something. And that was the whole point. He said, I don't want the people to think that they've delivered themselves or other people to think that they were able to do it. I'm the one. They need to glorify me. I need to be gloried in this thing. God does something really interesting too. It's at night And God has just proved himself and he's whittled the army down now to 300 and he says to Gideon, listen, if you're still a little bit afraid, you go down, take your servant, go down and listen to what they're saying. And so he does go down. He listens to what they're saying and it encourages him. 
what he hears is one person telling another person, man, I had this weird dream. I'm giving you Tony language, by the way. I had this weird dream. He said the dream was a barley loaf came run, flowing down, you know, down the hill and crushed my tent. And so the other person told him inter- the interpretation. He says, that is the sword of Gideon. The Lord is with Gideon. That is the sword of Gideon. So Gideon gets to hear this, and now he's encouraged because he knows through them that they're gonna, he's going to crush the enemy. So, my brothers and sisters, he gives instructions to his men. He divides his army of 300 into, into three groups of 100. And he says, here's what you do. He says, you go out. He says, you go and we'll divide. You surround their camp because they were in the valley below. You surround their camp. Keep your torches hidden. He says, but when I say, here's the, the sword of the Lord, the sword of Gideon, he says, you break it, sound the trumpets. And so that's exactly what they did. They surrounded the camp with their torches hidden. As soon as Gideon gave the signal, they all blow the trumpets, sound the, the alarm, and uncover the torches, break the pots, uncover the torches. In the middle of all of that are these armies of thousands of men. There was at least, it's estimated, at least 130-something thousand. There were so many men, but they refused. And they started fighting themselves. They started fighting themselves. And as soon as that happens, Gideon and the army, they flow in and they take it. And once they start taking it, there's this mighty slaughter of the enemy. Then the sound goes out to the other people, the other Israelis. You've got to come in now and start occupying these lands. And Gideon and the rest of his um, army, they, they pursued. They captured and killed princes. And then they went after the two kings of, um, of the Midianites and, and chased them into another land and then caught them as well. There's some other uh, incidental things that happened. But before we go there, or if we go there, I want to get into the actual calling of Gideon. And we're going to go to Judges 6, 11 through 12. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak tree or the timberinth tree, which was in Orphrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite. He'd kill me. While his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. So so here's the calling. What is is Gideon doing? He's hiding. He's hiding. He's in the wine press so that he can hide from the Midianites. But the Lord looks to him, the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself looks to him and says, You're a mighty man of valor. See, I am who he says I am. See, the Lord called him, and that was his calling. His calling, you know, you have a man who's hiding out for fear of his enemy taking what is his. And so you have the Lord talking to him like you're a mighty hero. That's what that valor means. You are a mighty hero. That doesn't look, that's not the picture that I see there. Is is that the picture that you see there? No. You know, I don't have to be in that. When God called me to what he called me to, I wasn't there yet. But he saw what he called me to. Come on now. See, you're, you're, you're already falling asleep. I'm already boring you. Come on now. Listen. He called Gideon to what he, was ha- what he had in store. God knew exactly what Gideon was going to do. He knew exactly what he had in store for him. Gideon still had a choice, by the way. We know that. But God called him to that. And even though he, was in, he wasn't in that position in that moment, in that moment, God called him to that position. Judges 13, 613 rather. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are the, his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and he's delivered us into the hands of the Midianites? Well, remember, I told you that when, when he confessed, there was a prophet that came. After the, uh, we get the introduction to, as, as it relates to the Israelites crying out to God, God sent them a prophet. 
The prophet is anonymous. They they, they don't name the prophet, but the prophet goes on and tells them, listen, here's what happened. The Lord, thus saith the Lord, he delivered you out of Egypt and he brought you into this land and he gave you the land of other people and he ran them out and he told you not to worship their gods, but you have more respect for their gods. So the Lord answered their cry and told them exactly what the situation was. Why am I in the, why are we, why have you forsaken us, Lord? See, here's what the Lord is saying. I did not forsake you. I did not abandon you. You have, you have forsaken me. You abandoned me. See, I got to tell you, when I look back on some of the things that I've suffered since I've been a Christian, Many of those were at my own hand. Many of those were because I didn't pay attention to what the Lord was saying to me. He didn't never abandon me. He will never leave me or forsake me. He's true to his word. The Lord is faithful. In those times when I struggled the most, it wasn't because he was even punishing me. It was because I walked away or I abandoned a philosophy or a principle that he's taught me. And not a philosophy, that's the wrong word. Please forgive me. I've abandoned a principle that he said in my heart, a truth that he, he has went ahead and taught me, something that he, he gave for my good. I abandoned that. I walked away from that. The Lord didn't forget them. They forgot the Lord. Hebrews 13, 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God will never abandon you. Write down point one. Did I give you that one, Mary? Hebrews 13. There you go. I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, I I know I've quoted that several times even since we started, but I want you to see exactly where it's at. This is not Tony. This is not Tony, you know, kind of putting his spin on what the word of God says. There it is, straight out of the word of God. God will never leave you or forsaken you or forsake you. So point one, God will never abandon you. God is never going to leave you alone. When Israel abandoned God and then they turned around and cried out, in this story, in this text, what did we find out? When they cried out to God, what did God do? Turn a deaf ear? What did he do? He listened and he sent a prophet and he told that prophet, told them exactly what the problem was. God didn't turn a deaf ear. He spoke back to them. Hallelujah. God will never abandon you. You need to know that. Someone does. Listen, if I'm standing here and I believe that I'm standing here under the influence of the Holy Spirit, there's a reason for this point to be made. And so I'm going to stick here just for one minute and push on this just a little bit. No matter what any doctrines or philosophies or anything, you know, man's, no matter what anybody has told you, whether in church, from a pulpit, it, God is not going to leave you, forsake you. That's his word. That's his promise. If you were truly born again and you've made some mistakes, God is not going to kick you to the curb. If he does, then... This isn't true. He won't. So, man, hang on to that. Somebody, whoever you are, hang on to that. Yeah, you've, you've made some mistakes. There's a lot of miles between. There's a lot of water that went under that bridge. Let me use it. There's a lot of water that went under that bridge in between the time that you once knew that you were walking in the favor of God and things just seemed to be right even when they were wrong. You, you knew the Holy Ghost was with you. But now, all of a sudden, something's different. He didn't leave you. He'll never leave you, all right? So the Lord responds to Gideon's accusation. I'm going to read it to you. You don't need, just listen. Uh, in, in verse 14, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of Midianites. I, have I not sent you? So he said, he, Gideon, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in, in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. So listen, the Lord doesn't respond and give any reasoning Toward the accusation, what he says is, look it, just go. You're going to save them. Am I not going with you? Haven't I sent you? If I sent you, that should be good enough. You know that I'm going to go with you. But Gideon doubts himself. What does he say? He says, I'm just the littlest guy from the littlest clan. I don't have this in me. I don't have the ability. Who am I? You are who he says you are. 
He are, he, you are what he says you are. He's called you, so he'll equip you. He's called you not to fail. He's called you to do what it is that he's purposed and planned from the foundations of the earth. And so with that, he will make sure that you are equipped. It's not about you anyway. See, right away, the attention goes on him. Him who? Gideon. But I can relate to that. So, so God says, haven't I sent you? But he says, but I'm, I'm, I'm teeny, I'm tiny, I'm weak, I'm poor, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other thing. All the excuses, all the things. What I, yeah, me, me, me. What about me, me, me? It's, I'm not, no, it's not about you anyway. Amen. See, we, we get this wrong. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. Get over yourself. Remember, we were called and created according to his purpose. There are no accidents. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you came from. If you are born again, God will fulfill his call in you if you let him. But my brothers and sisters, here we see the excuses. He's speaking. God is speaking plainly. He acknowledges it. He who? Gideon acknowledges it. How do I know that he acknowledged it? Remember, he said, I've seen God. He was afraid he was going to die because he knew he saw God face to face. God talked to him when he was gone. He said, don't worry. You're not going to die. I've got a purpose and plan for you. Amen? Okay. So, so Ephesians 2.10 says it this way for, in the New Testament. For, for those of us who are under grace, <laughs> we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter whether we think we're qualified. Here, we were created in Christ for, for him. It's, it's his work in us and on us that qualifies us. And he prepared for us the works to walk in them. Amen? All right. So, point two. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about God. And it's the point of this whole series. We're created and called for God, according to his purpose, according to his will. So it's not about you. Get over yourself. So now back to Gideon. After Gideon tells God about how unqualified he is, the Lord says, I will be with you. You're going to beat the Midianites like you're fighting against one person. Yeah, 300 against one. I'm good now. But Gideon doesn't even realize how many he's going up against them with yet. But he says, you're going to go up against them. You're going to beat them like you're going up against one person. So then in Judges 6, 17, here's how Gideon replies in 17 18. If you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. He answered, I will stay here until you return. I will stay here until you return. See, now look. Here's, here's what Gideon's saying. I, I want to I believe this. I want to trust you, but I need a sign. And, and again, I, I explained to you what the sign was. He went ahead and he prepared this offering meal for him, set it on this rock, and Jesus takes the staff that he has, he touches the meal with the rock, and immediately the f- flames burst out of the rock and engulf the meal. It burns it up. It's gone. That's, see, God responded to this offering. But then he leaves, gets out of his sight. He never sees him. He doesn't see him after that. Then he starts speaking to him. You know, it's interesting to me because what I see in this, when I'm studying this and I'm reading this and even really just fell on me this morning as I studied this for a while, but it fell on me this morning. You know what Gideon did? Gideon did what a lot of us do in Christian denominations in, under grace. Well, we think, listen, if I go ahead and I make this offering, I'm going to gain his favor. Oh, boy, you got quiet. See, some of it is because we've been trained to think that. You know, put the offering in the box. Is that scriptural? Yes, it is scriptural. God says, you know, bring your tithes to the storehouse. See if I don't pour out a blessing on you. But that's been so corrupted to the extent that, you know, churches make money that way or they try. Oh, and if you do that, this is what's going to You hear me say this all the time, but I got to do it again. Send $1,000. Sow $1,000 seed. God, mm, no. Listen, we cannot buy God's favor. We cannot buy it. Why do we... Well, if I do this just right, everything's going to work out fine. See, the motive is wrong, first of all. What's the motive? Not to serve God. 
You're still trying to serve yourself. Why? You're trying to get what you want. You're trying to have what you want. So you figure, if I offer God this, I'm going to get that. In this case, Gideon doesn't have what you have. He doesn't have the knowledge that you have. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit. He's not looking back at the cross of Christ. He's looking forward to something. But my brothers and sisters, he doesn't have a clue. So he knows what he knows according to religion, external, not relationship. But God, you, ooh, but God, see, ooh, this is, this, is, this is Holy Ghost now. But God is looking to build a relationship. So you know what God did? God didn't rebuke him. God didn't say, why are you looking at a sign? You should just believe me. God is building a relationship. So know what God did? He received the offering. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, you, you, that's, that's an awesome thing. And see, sometimes when we are doing the wrong thing by looking at each other and judging each other against each other, which the Bible says is a foolish thing to do, that's why sometimes if someone looks like they're getting blessed for something that doesn't line up with what you've been taught, then you, you throws, it, throws you into a, it throws a monkey wrench into your faith. Throws a monkey wrench into your doctrine or theology. Well, that's you know that, that's why because it's your doctrine and your theology. See what happens is God is you don't know what God is doing. God is trying to build a relationship with that person, so He may respond to someone else differently than He responds to you. We're not all in the same place, by the way, with God. Thank God, there's somebody who is a lot more spiritual than I am that I might be able to learn a little something from. That's right, I said that. Thank God. My brothers and sisters, we're not all in the same place. So God is working out somebody else's faith. God is working with somebody else. He's working on their relationship. He's not going to do anything contrary to this word that we all know. He's not going to do anything contrary, but he might be doing something differently. We're looking at it from our point of view, from our perspective, from our lustly, uh, our, our human finite minds, and looking at it according to our own lust, our own wants. Our own knowledge. Hallelujah. So God received it. After he receives it, again, Gideon thinks that he's, man, this is it. I'm going to die now. I just saw God. God speaks to him and tells him, you're not going to die. I've got something for you. So now that takes us to... um, 25, verse 25 in Judges 6. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young boy. So this is the same night that uh, the Lord first received that sacrifice, that Gideon, that offering that Gideon just said. That same night he says, take your father's bull. Hallelujah, I almost let it go. Of seven years old and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image and that is beside it. Build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of this rock and in the proper arrangement and take it, uh, the second bowl and offer burnt sacrifice at the wood of the image which you shall cut down using the wood of the image that you cut down. Okay, my brothers and sisters, I'm seeing this and here's what I'm seeing. See, God went ahead in my, I really could see this so clearly and, and Lord, help me right now. I want to, Lord, communicate this so that they can receive it. Hallelujah. I'm so excited right now. Listen, God is building relationship. God knows what's coming down the the road. Gideon doesn't. So what God does is he receives the sacrifice. And then now he's starting to, he's speaking to him. He's not letting him see him anymore. Now he's just speaking to him. Now Gideon recognizes the voice of God. Why? Because he has relationship with him now. There's this relationship. There's this something that he can relate to. He, he he's already has experience with him now. So now the Lord speaks to him and he says, do this thing. What is this thing about? This is the very thing that caused Israel in the first place to be in the predicament that they're in. What did they do? They started regarding other gods more than God himself. And so, well, we don't have that problem. You know, Tony doesn't have a totem pole in his yard. I don't burn anything out in the back to anybody else. I don't even burn incense or anything like that in the house just for the smell. Uh Uh-uh. No, we don't have that, so we don't have that problem. We don't worship idols. Wrong. Whatever you put in order of importance before God, 
that becomes your idol. That's not my speech. That's what it says in the word. So my brothers and sisters, this is what he's saying to you and to me now. It's time to get rid of the idols in your life. We're going to this other level now in our relationship. So it's time to get rid of the idols in your life. What's the, uh, well, let me tell you this. I mean, I, I know you're going to hear this again. You're going to, oh, here we go. Yeah, I'm, I'm just telling you. If you're watching TV more than you're reading the Bible, you got a problem. If you're, listen, if you're on the phone or on the computer, if you're using your electronical devices uh, and you're not spending time with God, you got a problem. If you're spending more time and more affection, more attention to your job and not to God, you got a problem. See, when God says to, 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 to Gideon, you need to get rid of this, you need to tear this down, Israel needs to see something here. It's time to get rid of the distractions and all of these things that you put before me. Thank you, Steve. I don't want you to shout me down this morning, uh, but I just gave you the truth. Young, old, and everybody in between. It doesn't matter who we are. doesn't matter how long we've been serving in the church, how long we've been a minister of God. It doesn't matter. If we're letting anything distract us from God, we're making a big mistake. It's not going to be well with us. So God says, okay, it's time to clean up. Okay, Gideon, now, now I've got your attention. Now we're in this relationship, so here's what I need for you to do. Gideon responds. He's re- he, he responds. He does what the, see, this is a great thing. Why? Because he's already in this relationship now. He recognized the voice and he obeyed the voice. Obedience is preferred before sacrifice. He went ahead and he, and he did exactly what God uh, told him to do. However, he was, still a little, he was still a little afraid because the Bible says he did it at night. He did it when no one could see him. He had 10 guys, 10 of his closest pals, and he, he went ahead and he did it at night. And I still say that one of those guys was the Valachi. One of those guys ratted him out because they knew the next day who did it and the people reacted. Yeah, it knows. The people that understand, the people, the people that are from the Northeast or understand, they know who I meant. All right, whatever that means. They're a rat. They were a rat. Somebody ratted them out. So the people of the city react, and they, they, they go to Joash, and, you know, it's time, we're going to string up your son. You know, your son did this, and, you know, it's not going to be well for him. Joash, who is this idol worshiper, stands up for his son now. Is it possible? Is it possible that because his son now has this relationship with God that he is now recognizing something himself? Is that possible? Could it be possible? Yes, it could be possible. And so now his father stands up for his son, but he says it this way. Why are you making the case for Baal? And if anybody who makes the case for Baal, they'll be dead by the morning. Let Baal make his own case. If he is a God, he'll take care of it. He don't need you to plead his case for him. Hallelujah. Who is it, my brothers and sisters, that we're trying to make excuse for? Who is it that we're given a free pass or a free ride to? Is it because we're afraid or intimidated? Do we compromise on the job with our boss because our boss controls maybe what we're getting paid? That doesn't go for you guys. No. <laughs> is it, no. Is it, you know, what do we do? Are we placating people because of what we can get out of them or because of fear? Or, or are we placating people because we... No, my brothers and sisters, no, it's time to stop that. Listen, we have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's all the testimony that we need. We don't have to stand and witness for somebody else as it relates to their power, their monopoly, what they own, what they have. Man, sometimes I get so... I, I got to catch myself because I'll have Christians come to me and be bragging about this person, that person, the other person. And, and you could see in them that this person is having an influence on them and the person's not even saved. So I'm thinking to myself, listen, I, you know, let that person take care of themselves. Tell me about what, what God is doing in your life. What about your relationship? Come on, are you with me? Did I suddenly get off track here? No, my, this is part of this point. You know, people, we are responsible Gideon, in this passage, we're seeing a growth path. We're seeing how Gideon started off being just like everybody else, hearing the stories and knowing about religion. He knew about religion. He knew about the stories. But he had no relationship. 
So God cries out to him and begins this relationship. And that's why we see that the Lord accepted the sacrifice and continued to talk with him. Now Gideon is in a different place in his relationship. He's now hearing God. He doesn't have to see him. He now recognizes his voice. Come on now. Are you with me? So point three, we're responsible. We need to grow spiritually that we can fulfill the call that God has on us. We, but it's our, we are responsible. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're responsible. We need to grow. We need to, we need to make sure that we're in this relationship with God and we're growing in it. We're spending time. How do you grow in a relationship with somebody? You got to spend time with them. Right? We went over all of that. You got to spend time. For us, for those of us who are under grace, here's what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 17, I am warning you ahead of time, dear friends, be on guard so that you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace, for all you grace people, you must grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are responsible to grow. We are responsible. How are we doing? How are we doing? Then continuing in Judges 6 and 33, it says, Then all the, all the Midianites, the Amalekites, the people of the east, like I said to you earlier, all of the people, all of these armies amass, and they, they, they cross over the Jordan, and they're amassed in this valley uh, of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew the trumpet, and he gathered his army. Remember I said that to you earlier in the summation. He gathered his army, and there were 32 thousand so now he's got his army he's already into this relationship with god he's seeing god's hand at work and he's so on and so forth but look what it says in in judges 36 and 37 gideon said to god if you will save israel by my hand as you have said look i'll put a fleece out of wool on the threshing floor if there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground then i shall know that you will save israel by my hand Remember, as I said to you earlier in the summation. But see, the reason why I'm bringing this to you now, this is already into this relationship. God has already done some things and already spoken to him, has already protected him. But now he sees this army, you see. He, He sees something happening and he sees all of these men. So is it possible that maybe he, he was a little shaken is it possible? You know, I, I, I need some reassurance here, Lord. Can, can you? I'm thinking, come on, Gideon. Are you kidding me? If God had spoken to me face to face like that, if God had, if God had, had, had consumed that, that, worship, that, that, that offering that I made to him, if he would have just consumed that, made that rock fire out of, tell me what you want, God. You got it. I'm, I'm just obeying you. Please. Please. Look at all of the things that we get to look back upon, yet we still struggle, we still get weary, we still you know, waver in our faith sometimes, don't we? All right, but yeah, there's just something about that. If I would have seen God, I would have... No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Come on, Gideon. But they were like locusts. Their camels were like, he's looking out over this valley and he sees, he sees all of that. You know, he's got these men, he's got 32,000 men, but he's still looking at thousands upon thousands of men and thousands upon thousands of camels and livestock. He's looking upon all of that. Let me ask you all something. Is there something that you're looking at in the natural that's keeping you from receiving what God has called you to? Is there something maybe that, you know, you're looking at? It doesn't seem like it's not supposed to be this way. It's not working out right. Maybe it's an ache or a pain, or maybe it's something else. Maybe the kids are acting, you know, a, a, a little bit a mess, and, or maybe something's just not right. Uh, I've got this situation. I'm not making enough money. can't pay the bill. And it's not supposed to be this way. God, you know, if you're really for me, then, you know, I, and, I, and you've done stuff for me, God. I know you saved me. God, you know, you've healed me in the past, and I know you've done some miracles, but this is different, God. Anybody? Don't raise your hand. Anybody? 
Because this point then, you, know, you need to hear this. See, we need to continue to grow in our relationship with God. We need to continue to grow in this grace so that we can pre- be prepared for that next thing. Because what happened back there is back there. We can look upon that as learning, as growing in our relationship, but we can't stay back there. We've got to continue to move on. And when we move on, my brothers and sisters, it's in that confidence because of the relationship. As we're growing in the relationship, we have more confidence in God. But man, I can relate to Gideon. And first I'm thinking, what are you thinking? You know, put the fleece out, you wring it out, but then he does it and then you ask him to do it again. But this time do the opposite. I just want to be sure. Have I ever done that? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to speak for me. I'm not going to ask you to confess, but I know you're out there. Have I ever done that? Yes. And I wasn't looking at a massed army against me. I wasn't looking at all of those people gathered that wanted to kill me. I, I wasn't looking at that. And did I shake a little bit? And did I, did I put the fleece of God? If you really... Anybody ever make? God, show me. If you really... Boy, I, it must be getting to you because you're awfully quiet. But, but my brothers and sisters... He's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. I still have to grow in this grace. I still have to learn how to trust. This is Gideon. He still has to grow. And he still has to learn how to trust God. He's brand new in this relationship. So I could could understand. I, I, I don't have to be hard on Gideon anymore. I could understand. He's still growing. He still has to learn how to trust. Oh, man. But he's doing the right thing. What is he doing? He's going to God. He's pouring out his heart to God. He's saying, God, if you really want me to do this, can you do this for me? See, my brothers and sisters, I I don't want to be the guy that, that, you know, I'm going to go to this one, go to that one, go to the other one. I'm going to have the plan B, C, D, E, F. I'm not going to do, I don't want to do that. You know what? Take the mask off and let's go ahead and pour out our heart to God. If, you know what? If someone wants to bind their faith with with me and we're going to bind our faith together and go to him in prayer together, awesome. Awesome. That's fine. But let's make sure that we're going to the right place for the answer. Let's make sure we're going to God. Let's pour out our heart to God. That's exactly what Gideon is doing. No mask, no spiritual pride. Come, oh, boy, I just, I just felt it there. No spiritual pride. Well, I've been a Christian X amount of years. So what? So what? Or I'm too smart. Please. I'm to this, I'm to that. Fooey. Go and pour out your heart to God. Let God provide your the answer. I'm still learning. Is anybody in here still learning? Is anybody in here still growing? I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm not afraid to admit it. I want more of him. I want to grow in my relationship with him. I want, I, want to be, I want to get more like him. I want to be more like him. When I speak, I want his words to come out of me. Come on now. So what does the Lord do? Gideon, are you kidding me? Please. I've already told you. I've already showed you I'm with you. Please. No, the Lord does it. Why? Why would he do that for Gideon? You know, and Gideon is mentioned in the roll call of faith. That doesn't seem like faith to me. Does it? He was, remember, he's going according to what he knows. He doesn't, he doesn't have what you and I have. So moving right along here. See, here's the other thing. As we're moving along, keep in mind, he now has 32,000 men. He's still looking at a massive army. God knows what's going to happen next. Gideon doesn't. So is it possible that because God knew what he was going to ask of him next, he went ahead and did that in that moment so that Gideon could be strengthened? 
So remember what I said to you before about us always looking at the other guy. Always, and, and you know, it can't be. God doesn't work that way. No, 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 that's not God. Baloney. Baloney. See, you don't know and don't judge somebody else's relate. You don't know what God is working out in them. So right now, God knows what's going on. God can see this progression. Gideon needed those fleeces, that the fleece to be put out before him. God went ahead and he visited. He did what he asked. He proved it. So now God says to him, you have too many men. I'm, now, if I'm Gideon and I see all of that like locust-like army and all of those camel, and I, he says to guy, I got 32,000 guys, and he says, you got too many, I'm thinking, uh-oh. But see, now watch. What does Gideon do? Does Gideon, Gideon argue back with him? God, what, are you kidding? No, he doesn't. Is it possible God knew that this is what was going to come up? So God, in his infinite wisdom, God went ahead and he ministered to Gideon exactly what Gideon needed to be ministered so that Gideon would be prepared for this moment. Yes, it's very possible and very probable. How do I know that? Because I'm the smartest guy in the room right now. No, because we're, look at what happened. We just see what happens. God says, you have too many men. Here's what I need for you to do. And Gideon argued right back with him. No, he didn't. He did exactly what God asked him to do. Those guys who want to go home because they're a little bit nervous, a little bit afraid, send them home. Those guys, you, you remember, I sum, summed it up for you. Those guys that take the water up um, with their hand to their mouth, those are your guys. Ends up with 300 people, 300 men that he's going to go up against his massive army with. Didn't argue with him. Did it. Didn't he? Watch. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Who you have from God. And you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Okay, Tony, what the heck are you talking? What does that got to do with this? Glad you asked. Because you know why God had him whittle it down? Remember what I told you earlier? Why did God have them whittle the army down? So they knew it was God. So that God could be glorified. If you guys go, even with 32,000 against that massive army, y'all are going to think you did it. And everybody around you is going to think you did it. Nuh-uh. I want them to know that I'm with you. I want them to know that I did it through you. I want the glory should be mine. Amen? I want people to believe in me. Not in themselves and not in you. Ooh, did you hear that? Wow. That's why ministers need to remain humble. I don't need people to follow me. I need people to follow Jesus. These other guys, they they, they get these big followings, all these celebrity preachers. That's okay. But make sure that you're pointing the people to Jesus, not to yourself. See, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Amen? So look at, this is about, and so look what the Lord says to us grace people, us those of us who are living under dispensation of grace. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We had that from God. We're not our own. We, don't, we were bought with a price, so we need to glorify God in our body and in our spirit. What does that mean, in our body? In our, in our body, with our attitude, everything, with our mind, with our heart, everything we are needs to be about glorifying God. Matthew 5, 16. And Jesus said this himself. Your light, you let your light so shine before men that, you, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. See, it's about God. It's about glorifying God. So, my brothers and sisters, point four. Our life should glor- bring glory to God. Amen. Our life should bring glory to God, period. Romans 12 says it very clearly and succinctly. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable. This is not a big thing I'm asking you. I'm telling you, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Whew. All right. Now, with the army down to 300, the Lord does something. What's he do? He tells them exactly, what you, here's what you do. Here's what you do. Here's how you play this out. But my brothers, 
I love, and sisters, excuse me, I love what the Lord does. I'm, I'm going to read it to you. It had the same night that the Lord, the same night the Lord says to him, Arise, go down to the camp, for I have delivered, you, I have delivered it into your hand. I have delivered their camp into your hand. So go down. But if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And after your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So I told you that a little earlier when he goes down. Here's he the one Midianite telling the other about this dream that he has. And he see, in his dream, he sees that barley loaf coming down the hill and breaking down the tent. And his, the other guy is able to, uh, to discern what that dream means. He says, that is this. So, so I'm thinking about this. So now not only do the people in Israel know that the Lord is with Gideon, but his enemy knows that the Lord is with this guy. There's something about this guy. Something's going on here. So now listen, it says in verse 15, when Gideon heard this and he heard the interpretation, you know what he did? He said, okay, man, I got this. I got this. Going back and getting my boys, we're going in. No, you know what he did? He worshiped. He worshiped. This is huge to me. This is huge. Why? Why? He didn't stand there and bask in the glory. He didn't stand there and just say, well, this is good. God is going to do this. I could feel good. I feel, man, what a relief. I know this is going to happen now. He worshiped. He was humbled. He was humbled before God and he worshiped God. Thank you, Lord. I praise you. There is no one like you. There is no one beside you. You did everything you said you were going to do. You're about to deliver your people from this oppression and you're doing it. You're doing it, Lord. We, I, I worship you. I love you. I magnify your name. Hallelujah. I can picture that. See, the Bible, the Bible is showing us this, this, this clear and distinct picture. This actually happened. So point five. When you're walking with the Lord, even the enemy of your soul knows it and he's afraid. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. That's why he works so hard to distract you because when you're walking with the Lord, undistracted, you will take him out. Lickety split in a hurry and he knows it. He knows it. Even your enemies. My brothers and sisters, that's all the points. I've given you five points. But man, I want to tell you, and, and John, you know, those of you who have been in the Word a long time, you know, maybe this is not revelation to you. But when I look at this, and I study this for now the umpteenth time, and I'm, and I'm considering this, and I'm, I'm looking at that versus the New Testament, and then I've said it kind of tongue-in-cheek here many times about, you know, the grace, dispensation of grace versus the Old Testament time that we're looking at. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, okay, God, really, teach me something. And he's taught me those five points to share with you. Uh, but you know what else? I look back on this. And you know what the Lord has ministered to me? I don't need to set out a fleece. You know why? Because I've got faith. I'm a mighty man of God. No. I don't need to lay out a fleece. You know why? Gideon did it, already did it for me. Amen. I don't need to do it. Gideon already did it for me. So I get to look back on that. And I get to see that when you're in relationship with God, you can count on him. He's going to be true to his word. <sighs> so I look at all of our Old Testament saints and I look at the roll call of faith. And I look at these, and I don't have to do the same thing they did. I don't have to test God the way they, I don't have to wonder or anything else like that. Why? Because I get to look back and I get to see the faithfulness of God. I get to see his wisdom. Not only that, I get to see those prophecies fulfilled. I get to see a man who was, he was brought up in a neighborhood, looked just like everybody else. He got up one day in a synagogue. He got up and he started reading out of the uh, book of Isaiah and he's reading out of the prophet Isaiah and he says, this is fulfilled in your sight this day. That was Jesus. The prophecies were about their Messiah. The prophecies were about their coming Savior. And he said, this is fulfilled in your sight this day. I don't have to look ahead. 
to my salvation. I don't have to look ahead to some of these prophecies that called, tell me that there's going to be a Savior, there's going to be a Messiah, there's going to be somebody whose blood would cover every sin that I would ever commit. I don't have to look forward to that. It's already been done. I just got to receive it. Hallelujah. No more fleeces for me. No more fleeces. God is faithful. Amen? And here's what I want you to leave with today. I want you guys to play that song. Listen, before we go, if you need prayer, please do not leave here without coming to see us. You know, there's a couple of folks in here that we are, we'll, we, anything you want to pray about, we'd love to bind our faith with yours. But otherwise, I want, let's, can we sing that song? I am who he says I am. I, I don't have to wonder. I don't have to worry. He's called me to a plan and a purpose and it's going to come to pass. I am who he says that I am. Amen. Would you sing it with me? Amen. All right, praise team. Why don't you, whoever's in here from the praise team, come on up.